Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. That's where you are. Man, it seems like it's been forever since we've been to church. One snow day. Well, to Kentucky last Sunday, we had snow up to our eyeballs, and it was frigid, zero degrees, and today it's 60, and, and winter is over, it's springtime, y'all. We made it through, and, uh, and I am so happy um, breaking out my flip-flops, y'all. I'm done with winter. I'm so done with it. Glad that you're here. Welcome to you. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We were all geared up for Family Palooza, kind of a circus theme. We didn't get to have it. We've postponed Family Palooza now to the 21st and 28th. So I hope you like the circus theme. We're going to get a lot of it uh, waiting around for the family palooza, but, uh, but be looking forward to that with us. In the meantime, I want to kind of introduce to you what is our theme for the entire year. And we're going to be bouncing off of this, coming back to the whole idea of life on mission, your life on mission. Uh, I feel like one of the great problems, not just with our church, but really with Christians, most every Christian you know, especially in our culture, but, but, but certainly in our church. One of our big struggles is what I call compartmentalization. Uh, we have a church life, our Sunday sort of life. Uh, we roll in here. We got our Bibles under our arms, we got our Sunday clothes on, we got our chapstick on, we got our kids all polished, and, and we managed to do this for one day, but now Monday, tomorrow can be a very different day, and we can live a very different life. A very different life between Sunday, your church life, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, your life life. And that's not right. That, that's not the Christian life. That's not the life that Jesus calls us to when he says to follow him. So I want us to really try to break the back of that compartmentalization and get past the idea that our life is divided between church life and, and everything else. Jesus wants your life life. And, and it's not just what you do here on Sunday morning. So let's, let's talk about our lives on mission by starting out together in Luke chapter 18. A familiar story for a lot of you, the story of the man that's sometimes called the, the rich young ruler. The, the rich young ruler. Ever heard the phrase price tag moment? You ever had a price tag moment? It's one of those moments when, say, you're at, the, at a store at the mall and you see something that you think you would like. Maybe it's a purse or a pair of shoes or a new toupee, whatever it is that, that you're shopping for a shirt. And, uh, and you look at it and you think, man, I, I've got to have that. That looks so good. I need that. That is going to look so good on me. That's going to make the difference. I'm going to wear that out. Uh, I, I need those shoes. I need that purse. That's exactly what I want. That is for me. And then you look at the price tag. And you see the price tag and you think, whoa. I can live without that. I thought I wanted that. I thought that was perfect for me, but that is not for me. It's the price tag moment when you recognize, I thought I wanted that, but I think I can probably live without that when I understand what it's going to cost. Price tag moment. One of my favorite price tag moments of all time was uh, back in the old days uh, with Woodman with the church. We used to do church directories, but our church was very small in those days. Y'all don't understand. Our church was really small back in those days at Woodburn. And uh, so if it's a church directory time, the only way to make the directory profitable, only way to make it possible for a small church was if we just got like 
anybody, everybody to get their picture made. Y'all, we took pictures of dogs and cats and chickens. I mean, we, L.P. McElroy's donkey, Einstein was in a directory. I mean, we just took pictures. And we got, like once we, we brought people from Hopkins Nursing Home, like we got them out of beds to, I'm not kidding, and come and got their picture made so we could have enough. Y'all, this ain't no joke. Just to have enough to have a church directory. Well, one year we were, we sort of got everybody in Woodburn to be in our church directory. And, and there was an old man that lived over on College Street. His name was Dewey Hale. Dewey was a great man. God rest his soul. Dewey's wife, Lillian, had already died, so Dewey lived by himself. He was a great man. Just little old toothless, hairless little man who lived by himself on a fixed income. So we got Dewey to come and get his picture made for our church directory, and he did. So here's the thing. Back in these days, children, let Papa tell you how this used to work. In those days, you couldn't just see your pictures like on a computer screen because there weren't any of those. And so they would go ahead and print out all your pictures. Like you get your picture made, you come back in two or three weeks and you come in and you'd view all your pictures. They would print out a thousand pictures of your face. And then they would try to sell them to you. And it was kind of a pretty good sales pitch because you could already see the pictures. They would have, you know, pictures in different frames. They would have like the giant oil, oil painting of you. And, and the idea was you would, you would be supposed to come in and buy some pictures. Now, the, the salesmen were sometimes really pretty hard. They, they would really come at you to, to buy pictures. And they were really expensive. Like you couldn't afford pictures. All right. So it was picture day, and all the church members had been filing through, and some had bought pictures and some hadn't bought pictures. But, but anyway, uh, that end of the day, I was talking to the Olin Mills guy, the salesman, and he said, I've had a pretty good day. He said, I even sold, I sold one of my deluxe packages. I said, what's that? He said, that's everything. I sold a deluxe package. I mean, somebody bought like all the pictures, all the little bitty pictures. They bought the oil painting. They bought everything. I said, Really? Who was that? I'm just curious. Who was that? Who, who bought the deluxe package? The guy said, a man named Dewey Hale. Y'all, remember Dewey? He's a little old man, lived by himself. You know, no teeth, no hair, no money. I mean, y'all, he didn't. I said, I'm pretty sure that's a mistake. He said, no, I told him. And he handed me the check to write out the check. I mean, he won. I said, you, you filled out the check. He said, yeah. I said, well, just out of curiosity, how much was it? He said, it was two ninety-seven. I said, did you tell Mr. Hale it cost two ninety-seven? He said, yeah. I said, dude, he just thinks he bought a thousand pictures for less than three bucks. I mean, Dewey Hill heard two ninety-seven, as in, you know, less than three dollars. So anyway, it, it became my job like, to go over to the house and tell Mr. Hale that he had just bought, you know, $300 worth of pictures. He had no idea. But here's the thing. He had been gone maybe 30 minutes, y'all. He just barely got home. But he had already gotten home and, like, cut all those pictures apart. <laughs> it's like one man, every picture is just him. But he's already cut them all apart, and he's got them all over the house. I mean, they're everywhere. Like that oil painting. I mean, he's got pictures of his face everywhere. I said, Mr. Hale, do you know how much that costs? He said, yeah, I thought it was, it was less than $5. I said, no, Mr. Hale, that was, that was like $300. Immediately, he started getting all those pictures, man. He got all those pictures down. We put them back in the bag. It, it was a price tag moment. You understand? <laughs> It was a price tag moment. He thought he wanted a thousand pictures of his own face until he found out what it would cost. Now, I, I tell you this because in Luke chapter 18, we're going to read together what is probably the ultimate price tag moment 
with the rich young man. And by the time this sermon is through, you are going to have perhaps a price tag moment of your own. Let's listen to what the Word of God says. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard this answer, he said, there is still one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. It's a price tag moment. It's a familiar story. Most of us have heard it before. I don't, I don't know what you think about this guy, but, but I'm telling you, you'd like him a lot rich young ruler. He's never really called that in Scripture. We get the story from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all, all three of the first Gospels, and they each give us different details, but they tell the same story. This man is magnificent. You, you, you'd love him. First off, he's rich. I mean, he's rich. He, he's rich. We don't know necessarily how much money he has other than the fact that he's wealthy and the Scripture calls him that. Have you ever asked yourself what you would do if you had money, if you just had wealth like that? I mean, because he does. He has wealth, which means he can have all the things that money can buy. And have you ever just wondered what you would do? I mean, sometimes we play that game where, God, if you would just bless me with more money, I would give, I would, I would, I would support missions, I, I, I would be so generous, I'd be passing out money. God, if you just give me more money, you just could see how generous I would be. But y'all know that's kind of a game you're playing in your own head. That's self-deception. It doesn't matter how much money you have or, or, or don't have. If you got $5 today, if you're not generous with the $5 you've got, you would not be more generous if God gave you $5 billion. You understand? Because if the generosity is not in you, it won't be coming out of you just because we put more money in your wallet. You see that? But this guy has the money, all the money in the world in his wallet. He's rich. On, on top of that, he, he's young. He has time. I don't know how a man uh, of his youth manages to accomplish so much, manages to uh, accumulate wealth. But, but by this time in his young life, he already has the money and he's still got time. I mean, his life is stretching out in front of him and he can afford any school. He can afford any car. He can have it all. And he's got time to enjoy it. Have you ever just wished you had more time? Just more time. 
Lord, if I just had more time, if I wasn't so busy, I, I would do so much for you. I would volunteer. I'd get to know my neighbors. I'd, I'd, I'd be in church. I mean, if I just had time. But, but again, I, I remind you, this is a game that you and I play in our heads. We all get the same amount of time. It's 24 hours a day. Nobody has ever had more and, and nobody's ever had less. I mean, you've got the same amount of time everybody has. So if you don't have time to serve God, time to follow Christ now, then I'm telling you, time is not your problem. It's a heart problem. You're trying to do too much in the time that you have. It's not that you don't have enough time, but he's young. He has time, you all. His life just stretches out in front of him, and he's called a ruler. I don't know what he's ruling. He's not, understand that. I mean, he's not some sort of political ruler. He's not like the mayor of rich young rulerville or something like that. He's a religious leader. His leadership position, his power must be at the temple with the religious fear. Uh, in that day, in that culture, the only real power available to a Jewish man would have been at the temple. So his position of power is, is, is a religious position, but still recognize this is a rich young man in a position to make things happen. This is the guy who can get things done. Have you ever wished you had power like that? Ever wish that you were in some kind of position where you could make things happen? Because a lot of us feel like we're not. We don't feel like we have influence. We don't feel like we have a say. But this young man has money. He has influence. He has a say. And he's got all the time in the world. You love this guy. He's religious. I mean, if he were alive in our day and age, he'd be in church every single Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. He'd be a deacon. He'd be a teacher. He'd probably be on this staff. You understand? This guy is everything. If he were alive today, he would be next season's The Bachelor. You understand? He'd be that guy. Everybody in this room, you would want your daughters to marry this man. This is the ideal man of society. Do you see that? He's really that good. He's really that outstanding. This guy is the best you could possibly find. And he comes to Jesus one day with one question. What's his question? Verse 18, good teacher, what must I do? What should I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do? I think it's the Gospel of Matthew who tells us that when he comes to Jesus, he falls down at his feet. So understand, this guy's serious. This isn't a casual question. He really wants to know. He's really wanting to know about eternal life and what Jesus offers. He really wants to know. He's serious. This is a serious question. It just turns out it's the wrong question. He means it. He's asking it. What must I do? Now, Jesus answers this way, verse 19. What's Jesus' question? Why do you call me good? Now, I remind you, if you've been around long, I don't know a lot about interpreting the Bible, but this is the one thing I know. It's called the Harris Rule of Biblical Interpretation. And if you've heard me preach, you've heard this before. The Harris Rule of Biblical Interpretation is very simple, and it's this. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not because there's something he doesn't know. You're with me? That's, that's the one rule I have, the Harris rule of biblical interpretation. Jesus asks a question. It's not because there's something he doesn't know. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good, but to answer your question. So understand, Jesus sort of throws something in there. Why are you calling me good? Only God is truly good, but I'll answer your question. 
What's he doing? He's redirecting this man. He's redirecting. As I said, the question that the man asks is the wrong question. Jesus has to redirect him so that he begins to ask the question that's really going to matter. But if you're interested in the kingdom of heaven, this is not the question that will take you to. The question he asks is, what should I do? What should I do? What can I add to all that I have? And understand, this is a good guy. We've established this is a good guy. He has everything that money can buy. He has everything that this world has to offer. This man is an amazing example. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the men replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. All right. Stop with me. Jesus has just said in this man's face, only God is truly good. Were y'all here when we read that? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. And then the man looks back at Jesus, and Jesus just said, what? Jesus just said, only God is truly good. And now this man looks back at Jesus and says, I've kept all the commandments since I was young. He's looking at Jesus saying, what? I have kept all the commandments since I was young. All the commandments. All the commandments since you were young. Are you starting to understand this man's problem? Now, I, I remind you, Jesus is brilliant. Jesus knows this man's heart. Jesus is redirecting him. Jesus is going to take him there. Notice what Jesus does. Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. You know the commandments. I've, I've kept all of those since I was young. What's the catch there? Well, the catch is Jesus didn't go over all the commandments there. He goes over a short list. It's not even all ten. And there's one glaring commandment in the ten commandments. If you just want to do ten, there's one glaring commandment that Jesus sort of doesn't even mention here. And what commandment would that be? Well, thou shalt not covet. What's coveting? Just wanting everything, wanting everything that you, that you can set your eyes on, just wanting everything you can get your hands on, just wanting everything. Thou shalt not covet. It would be interesting if Jesus had thrown that one in there because I have a feeling that this man wouldn't be able to stand there and go, I've never coveted. Of course he has. But see, that's the thing. That's the trick we play in our head. That's the beauty of this. Because this man doesn't have to respond to all the commandments, just these. And it turns out he's pretty good if you're just looking at these. I mean, I'm pretty good if we're just looking at these. You must not commit adultery. I never have, y'all. I never have. I have one wife. She's the only woman for me. I, I will never commit adultery. I'll say that publicly. I promised her. I promised the Lord. Now, I am not an adulterer. You must not murder. I have never killed anybody, ever. I have never even flipped anybody a bird in, in my life. I've never, the day's not over, but I have never, ever done that. Nothing like it. You must not steal. 
I have never stolen, y'all. I have never stolen. Now, my sister once, when we were kids, she stole a blow pop from Slick Ghoul's Grocery over there, over there on Cedar Bluff. I mean, my sister stole a blow pop, and she's got to live with that. But I've never stolen. I've never stolen. I, I, I was there. I watched her do it, but I, I didn't do it, y'all. I've never stolen. You must not testify falsely, telling you the truth. Right there, she stole. You must not testify falsely. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. My parents here, I'm a pretty good son, y'all. I'm a pretty good son. All right? So there you go. I have kept all of these all of my life. But only God is good. Only God is truly good. If you allow me to sort of define goodness by my own measure, I can define it in such a way where I look really good. If you let me just sort of go through what God expects and just sort of pick out the ones that I naturally lean toward anyway, I can make myself look really good. And I can do it so well that I even forget I'm doing it. I actually start believing that I am good. See, this is the problem with this rich young man. He's serious. He, he's very serious. He really believes this about himself. He really believes, even though Jesus just said, you know, only God is truly good. He didn't hear that. This man can't hear that because he's rather wrapped up in his own goodness. He's sort of believing this, that if heaven is out there, then it must be some matter of what I do to get there, what I can do to earn it, because this man has managed to earn everything else in life he's wanted. You see that? He's expecting a platinum membership in the kingdom of heaven because he's managed to earn a platinum membership everywhere else he's ever gone. It's never crossed his mind that it's not going to be a matter of his goodness, something to do with his resume, because everything he's always wanted in life has simply come by working hard, by being a good man, by keeping all the rules. And in his mind, he's kept all the rules. But it's still the wrong question, because the kingdom of heaven is nothing like the kingdom of earth. It's not the same. It's not the same valuation. It's not the same standard. Do you understand that? So when the man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to, to go to heaven? Understand, that's the wrong question. You'll never get to heaven by asking that question. You won't get to heaven based on what you have done or what you might do. It's based on what you could never do. You understand that? It's based on what you can't do, what you can never do. That's why Jesus has to redirect this man so that the real question becomes not what must I do. The real question is not what, what do I have. The real question becomes what do you lack? Don't tell me about how good you are and how you managed to keep all the rules. Let's talk about where you've fallen short. What is it that you lack? It's not a matter of what you have done, what you might do. It all comes down to what you can never do. And you can never be so good as to earn a place in heaven. Only God is good. Only God is good. So Jesus says to the man, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Jesus heard his answer. He said, there's still one thing you lack. 
Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and, and, and follow me. So Jesus goes straight to the man's money. It's, it's, it's money. Now, right there, some of you, you start thinking, okay, this story isn't for me because it's, it's obviously talking to rich people and I'm not rich. I doubt anybody in this room thinks of themselves as a rich person. And, and I'm with you, I sort of understand that, but, but you're missing a lot. I mean, for example, if this guy is rich, what do you think we are? This man has never sat his behind down on a commode that flushed. You understand well, what I'm saying? I'm not making a joke. This man has never felt the blessing of air conditioning. He's never gone through a drive through window at Starbucks and threw five bucks away on a, on a nickel cup of coffee. Understand? Who's rich exactly? If this man is rich and you think you're not, he's never talked on an iPhone. He's never had cable television. He's never even had television, y'all. I mean, who's rich? If this man is rich, what do you think you are? What do you think I am? So first off, you've got to understand how the world works. You've got to understand what Jesus is talking about here. Talking about a man whose heart very much belongs to the world, even though he's very, very religious. He thinks that somehow his money earns him something and that that money is going to also earn him something when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. But notice what Jesus says. He changes the question. It's not what do you need to do? It's what is it that you can never do? It's not how much do you have? The question is, what is it that you lack? There is still something lacking. You need to sell everything. You need to give everything away, and then you will have the one thing you're lacking. Then you will have what? What does it say? Verse 22. You'll have treasure in heaven. What you lack treasure in heaven. We're not talking about like a bank account up there. You're, you're still thinking in, in earthly ways. What Jesus is saying here is that uh, one way or the other, you can have all the money in the world and still be bankrupt in the only way that counts. You can have everything and you can have nothing in your life that has spiritual value, treasure in heaven. You understand spiritual value. What do you think money is? What, what do you think it's even worth? Scripture tells us that heaven is a place where the streets are paved with what? Gold, with money. Now, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, that means heaven. I mean, if the streets are paved with money, oh, my goodness, it, it must be, you know, like, like Trump's house. It must be the most amazing house ever. No, when Scripture says the streets are paved with gold, it's a way of showing you how the value of heaven is very different from the value of earth. In other words, in heaven, your money's worthless. It's what they pave the streets with. People walk on money up there. Understand? They walk on money up there. Your money buys you nothing in heaven. So the bottom line is, in this world, you can feel like you have it all. You can feel like you've got your youth, and you feel like you've got good looks, and you feel like you've got money, and you've got some sort of influence and position. You've got your car, you've got your house, you feel like you've got it all. But what you're not understanding is you can have all of this and still have nothing. You can be completely bankrupt when Jesus looks at your life. 
There's an old quote by a famous missionary named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, his story's amazing. You need to Google him and read his stories. He's an amazing martyr. But Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. You must sell everything and have treasure in heaven. It's, it's a price tag moment, y'all, when the man hears this. He became very sad because he was very rich. He was serious. He feels bad about it. He feels really bad about it. But still he walks away. Now, Jesus says two things to the man if you break it down. You sell everything, give everything away, and, uh, and come follow me. What's the most important thing Jesus says? What, what, what is the, the, the big word, the, the big instruction Jesus gives the man? What, what do you think? What do you hear? Sell everything? No. He tells him to sell everything, but that's not the big thing. That's not the important thing Jesus says. Jesus says to him, importantly, the same thing he says to all of us, and that is, come follow me. What Jesus really says there that matters is, come follow me. That is meant for all of us in all times, in all places. We must hear the call to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian and to become a Christian. You hear that call of Jesus saying, follow me, and you follow him. Jesus tells everybody to come and follow him. I don't believe that Jesus tells everybody to sell everything they have and give it away. You like hearing that, don't you? You enjoy hearing that because you were kind of worried that's where it was going. And, and, you know, you sort of really, really like your iPhone. And, and I understand that. I'm probably addicted to mine. So you like that word that, okay, okay, Jesus didn't mean that really. It's, 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 it's a parable. It's Jesus talking to Donald Trump, but, you know, the rest of us, we can have, no, no. you got to understand, it's, it's that call to come follow me. And the reason that Jesus tells this man, you must sell everything and give it away and then come follow me, is that Jesus knows this man's heart, and Jesus knows that this man will never follow him as long as he keeps it all. He will never, ever follow him. So in this man's case, it's the money that's always going to be in the way. And if he's ever going to follow Jesus, he's going to have to get rid of all of it. He's going to have to give it away. It will always keep him from following Jesus. There are other disciples in Scripture that Jesus obviously didn't expect them to do that. He didn't ask Matthew, for example, to sell it all and give it all away. Matthew continues to have a large house and, and have people into his house. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had a house in Bethany. It must have been large. They must have had means. They were able to bring everybody in and feed them. Do you understand? It's not that everybody who follows Jesus has to sell everything and give it to the poor. But that was what this man would have to do because that's the cost of discipleship for him. That's the cost of discipleship for him. So the question becomes for you and me, what is the cost of discipleship for us? I hesitate to say that none of us are fully following Jesus. But I don't know if I would even say that, that one of us is fully following Jesus. I know I'm not. Maybe it's just, maybe I'm, you know, the one that's not, but. 
but I just sort of assume that none of us is really fully following Jesus. If, if we were, if any of us were, I think we, we wouldn't even have to question. We'd all know, yeah, you know, that person. I, I don't think we do. So let's just assume this. There is something. There's something in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus fully. That there is something. What is it? If, if you're saying it's not your money, you're good with money. Okay, 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 okay. but what is it? Because there's still something in your way. There's something that you're holding on to. There's something you want more than you want Jesus, to be honest. So what is it? Some of you, honestly, it, it is money. It, it really is. You say, Brother Tim, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't even have a lot of money. I've already said that. It has to do with the $5 in your pocket. If you've got $5, I mean, it, it comes down to your relationship to that money, the, the amount of worth you place in the, in the money that you can have, save, earn, spend, whatever. Some of you are all about having it. Others of you are all about spending it. But one way or the other, you spend a whole lot of your life. You give a lot of your life to the acquiring, the spending, the dealing with money. You, you love stuff. We talk about a, a materialistic culture. We talk about materialistic people, people who are all about material things. You understand, that's the opposite of a spiritual person. There's the spiritual world and the material world. And some of us just love the material world. That's why we love HGTV. We just love that. We, we make our house an idol. I mean, some of you are, are like crazy people in a Hobby Lobby. You keep buying stuff to hang on the wall, and you don't have any wall space left. And what is it that you're going to hang on the wall that's going to add any real value to your life, to even to the house? What is it that you think you're doing? Do you understand? It's just that, that obsession that we have with continuing to worship our material lives, to worship our own home. We bring offerings to our home every time we come back. Do you understand? Every time you pull in the garage, you have to unload the car. You're bringing offerings to your home, pictures, mirrors, placemats, napkins, furniture. You understand? It's an idol. You're worshiping it. You bring it offerings. It's an idol. It has your heart. It's money. It's just material things. And some of us are obsessed with work, obsessed with making money. We feel really insecure if we feel like we don't have enough money in the bank. We get our security from our money, from what we can save and earn. And I'm telling you, that puts money in the place of God. Don't you trust God to provide for you? I mean, so if, if money is my problem, then the answer to that is to give it away. I mean, that's what Jesus says to the man. And that's what some of us need to do. We need to learn to give it away. You heard the old phrase, give till it hurts. It hurts some of y'all, doesn't it? I mean, if you had to give somebody a nickel, like it's just painful. Ugh, ugh, ugh. I mean, give till it hurts. I mean, it hurts you. It hurts you to turn loose of a dime. Well, I disagree with that whole philosophy of give till it hurts. I sort of go with what the Bible says when it says God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. So I say you give till it feels good. Give till it feels good. If it's hurting you, you're doing it wrong. If it's hurting you, you're not giving enough. Instead of just giving a dime and it just being painful for you, why don't you try writing a check that would make your banker's head explode? Because that's going to feel good. That's when you're going to discover something about what your money's worth. When you can finally learn to turn loose of it, then it turns loose of you. And you have this ability then to start pursuing the things that really matter to God. You begin to find the things in life that have spiritual worth, things money can't buy. Some of us are all messed up with material things, and we don't like to admit it. It's our problem. 
If it's not the material things, it's just the comfort. We love comfortable lives. We are, we are comfort-loving people. I walked in this church today, and, and I had to apologize to Warren for the way I, I acted toward him. I said, Warren, it's cold in here. Why is it so cold in this church? People shouldn't have to walk in church and keep their coats on. Why is it so cold? It's 63 in my office. Well, big deal. Y'all got coats? For that matter, I got a thermostat in my office. I can turn it up. What, what, what? Why do we love comfort so much? Some of you, you say you'd serve the Lord, but you don't want to be inconvenienced. Part of you would kind of like to do a mission trip, like you hear people going on short-term mission trips, two weeks in, in Indonesia or two weeks in Haiti, but you think, oh my goodness. I mean, if, you might not say it out loud, but in your mind you're thinking, I, I can't go anywhere where there's not air conditioning. That's not a joke, is it? You think that. I can't go there. I have an air conditioner. I don't know what I would eat. I don't know what I would eat. You're worried about what you would eat. Do you know nobody's ever starved to death in two weeks span of time? And some of you would do fine. Just saying. <laughs> You'd be fine. You won't waste away in two weeks. We could leave you out there a long time. <laughs> but you're just... Where would I take a shower? You know, what if, what if there's no hot water? I mean, yeah, I'm not making this stuff up. This is how we think. You would let the world go to hell because you don't think you could take a cold shower. And that says something profoundly, profoundly serious about your spiritual life and about the God that you make out of your own comfort. You know, you can eat peanut butter crackers that you carry in your pocket for two weeks in Haiti if you need to. You understand that? But people in Haiti are starving. It makes no difference to you. It's, it's the comfort. You don't have to be all that wealthy, but you're awful, awful attached to your iPhone. You don't know if you could put it down. Go to a place where there's no coverage. Comfort. Some of us, it's Relationships. Even family. Again, we got this whole place decorated for family palooza. We, we love families. We're about families. We want to strengthen your families. Part of strengthening your family is helping you find the proper place of family in your life under Christ. And the problem is uh, in our culture and often in our churches, we make family an idol. Some of you have put family in the very center of your life, and I know you love your spouse. And nobody loves their wife more than I love my wife. I love Casey. I love my son. I die for him. I'd do anything for him. I wish the little turkey would call me, you know? I love my family, but, but there is a way where you begin to put family in, in that highest place in your life. And once you've given the highest place of your life to family, then understand that leaves no, no throne for which Jesus to occupy. It's not all about family. It's all about Jesus. Your life is for Christ. Now, I know that this becomes very, very uncomfortable, but, but, but some of us, honestly, we, we're ruining our families by trying to give them everything. You're trying to give your children everything, and so you have become a very child-centered, a teenager-centered family where everything revolves around the kid. 
So everything revolves around making sure that, that, that this girl gets to play on the very, very best volleyball team or to make sure that your son gets on the very best travel ball team. I mean, you, you would trade everything. You, you will trade every night of your life. You'll never eat supper around the table. You give it all up, you know, just to make sure that the kid gets into the college of his dreams. I mean, you understand how this works? I mean, let's say that your kid makes that travel ball team and they are the champions for year after year after year and they got all these ribbons and trophies. You know, what's it going to be like when you get to heaven and you have all these ribbons and trophies, but, but your, your, your kid's in hell? I mean, honestly, some of you, it's more important to get your kid into college than to get your kid into heaven. So very truly, you're, you're giving them everything and at the same time, you're giving them nothing. Nothing of of value. All the things that money can buy and nothing, that your kid has nothing that that money can't buy. And and somehow you feel like a success in this? I mean, family can be a a genuine idol. Brother Tim, I don't don't like this. I don't like what you're saying. I think we're supposed to love our families. Yes, we are. But notice what Jesus says right here at the bottom. I mean, this is Jesus. If you want to argue, argue with Jesus. Jesus says, I assure you that everyone who's given up house... Giving up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life. Jesus knows that if you're going to put him first, everybody else has to take some other lower place in the chain of priority. You can't put your children first and also say Jesus is first. Jesus has got to be first. And your children will be most blessed when Jesus is first in your life, Dad, in your life, Mom. Your children need to know the Lord, but they're never going to know the Lord if the spotlight continues to shine on them. You shine the light on Christ and you point your kids to Christ. That's what they need. But we don't do that. In our culture, we worship our families. We worship our children. Our homes have become our churches. If you're wondering what it is that keeps you from following Jesus fully, just guess. Well, what is it? Is it relationships? Is it family? I, I, don't, I don't know. I've been talking to married people, single people. Man, y'all aren't off the hook here. We've got women in this room right now, I'm guessing, but I said we've got women in this room who it's more important you have a man in your bed. Any man will do. Uh, I mean, dead or alive, you know, any, any man w- w- will do. You'd rather have a man in your bed than to have Jesus in your heart. See, and, and that's a problem. You understand that, that, that that's just a, a problem. Whatever it is that keeps you from following Jesus fully. I mean, I'm just, I've said mostly good things, relationships. I mean, these are good and, and, and money and comfort. I mean, you could argue that these are important things, but sometimes it's not even those things. It's just sin. Sometimes it's just sin in our way, and, and we would rather sin. We'd rather hold on to our sin. I don't know this for a fact, but I probably still know this for a fact that there are men in this church who do not serve, who do not take roles of responsibility and leadership of men in this church who do not really step out and follow Christ because of their addiction to pornography. I'm just guessing, but I know. You you feel so filthy, you, you feel so wrong. But then you don't stop, and you don't take any measures to stop. You just keep the secret that controls your life, but it's what keeps you from following Jesus fully. Well, Brother Tim, I don't know what it is. If there's something that's keeping me from following Jesus fully, I I wouldn't even know what that is. Well, let me give you a a little tip here. Surefire way, if you want to know what it is that's standing in the way, 
If you want to know what it is, then, then just simply uh, guess. Just guess. What might it be? If it was anything, what would it be? Just guess. I promise you, just guess. You'll hit it every time. Every time. Just guess. Because you know. Jesus heard his answer and he said, there's still one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. Brothers and sisters, he was serious and he felt bad. Like some of you feel bad right now. I mean, he felt bad, but he still walked away. Sad. Now notice what happens next. When he's gone, it's awkward. There are people who are following Jesus. They thought they were following Jesus, but when they heard this and they saw this, it got weird. Because this was a really religious guy. He was was a good example. He's the ideal man in society. I mean, if, if if this guy can't be a follower of Jesus, then who in the world can? I mean, that's the next question. They just say, who in the world can be saved? It starts to feel that way, doesn't it? I'm not going to want Jesus more than, I, more than I want my family. How do you even ask me to make that decision? I don't even know where to start. I, I, I'd say I love Jesus more, but who in the world can be saved? I mean, if, if, if that's the cost, who can be saved at all? What's Jesus say? What's the next thing Jesus says? You probably quoted this verse. You just never really figured out where it, where it belongs. It belongs right here. Who in the world can be saved? And Jesus says, verse 27, what is, say it, impossible. What is impossible for people is possible with God. Remember, only God is good. So if, if, if heaven is a matter of goodness, it's not going to be my goodness because I'm not that good. I'll never be that good. It's not a matter of how good I can be or how good I can't be. You understand? Only God is good. And so getting to heaven is a matter of God's goodness. God's being good to me. And if it's about righteousness, it's never going to be my righteousness. I don't have any righteousness. Christ alone is righteous, and he gives his righteousness to me. Do you understand? Salvation is not a matter of what you and I can do. It's not a matter of what you and I can be. It is a matter of what Jesus has done for us. It's not who I am. It's who Jesus is. All I have to do is want him, but I do have to want him. You have to want him. You have to want him more. Peter says, Jesus, we left everything for you. Talking for the 12, we, we left it. We did. Jesus says, I know you did. And everyone who gives up house and parents and children and brother and sister and friends, whatever you give up, the reward in this life is more than you can possibly imagine and then there's still the life to come understand 
the reward in this life is more than you can possibly evaluate. And, and then there's the life to come. No matter what you give, Jesus still gives more. So a rich young ruler came to Jesus one day with a question. It's a good question, he thought. He said, well, what must I do? Tell me. What do I add to all the other things I've done? What do I add to my resume? If, if, there, if there's a rule to keep that I haven't been keeping, tell me that rule. What, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, there's mm, something you lack. It's not about recognizing what you can do extra. It's about recognizing that you got nothing. So why don't you sell everything and come follow me? It's a price tag moment. You understand that? He was serious, you all. He, he was serious, but when he found out what it would cost him, suddenly a, a life of following Jesus no longer seemed to be what he wanted. He felt bad. But he still walked away. He is the rich man who walks away and may never understand how poor he is. He's poor. Pray with me.